Well, would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We are journeying through the book of of Ephesians. We're in the fifth chapter. And we're coming to verse 15 today. Ephesians 15. And we're going to begin reading through verse 21. There's two types of people that I find in our churches today. There are those that you find sometimes that are what you might would call superficial, natural Christians, whatever that might, might mean. They superficial in their spirituality. They talk a lot, but yet their life and their actions does not go according to what their talk is. And there's always this, uh, this, uh, error about them that praise Jesus and this and praise Jesus and that. And yet their lifestyle does not coordinate with that. And then there's another troop, group of people that when you begin to talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ, they just sort of freeze up. They don't say anything. And they sort of back away as if they're embarrassed or as if they do not know what to say or what to do. It seems to be very unnatural for them to walk in the Spirit of God. Well, those two types of people certainly does not characterize the person that the Apostle Paul describes to to us here in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. And there he begins to talk to us of how we can become supernaturally natural. Now, I believe with all my heart that it's the command of God as we have studied here today, that it is God's command and God's will for every single child of God to be spirit-filled. And when they're spirit-filled, they will act spiritual, but yet it will be natural in their walk with their life. They're natural, but yet they are spirit-filled. And so what I want us to do is look at the Bible today, and let us look at this for a few moments. Would you take your Bibles and... Turn Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Would you stand with me in reverence of reading God's Word? Now, you'll notice that he talks about a lifestyle here in our walk with the Lord. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I think one of the greatest, greatest adventures in the life of a believer is understanding what the will of the Lord is. Knowing what God wants for my life. Well, he tells us very plainly here. Listen what he says. And do not be drunk with wine wherein success, but be filled with the Spirit, 
speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. And as we go to the Lord in prayer, I want to pray for those names that's upon these rocks. Many of you last week came and you wrote names upon those rocks. And we have made a commitment that we're going to lift up those names. Praying that God will speak and work and touch those lives that those individuals might experience a spiritual reformation and regeneration with the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before your mighty presence today. Thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you that you have reminded us what is the will of the Lord is. And Lord, help us to understand that and experience that and demonstrate that in our lives. Father, we pray for your power and for your glory. Pray for the anointing and the filling of your Holy Spirit. Praying that Jesus might be magnified and honored. Lord, I think about last Sunday morning when... We saw our altar filled with our people coming forward and taking a rock and putting a name upon that rock that the Holy Spirit had burdened that individual to pray for. Lord, you see every single name that is around this cross. There at the base of that cross, there are literally hundreds of names. And Lord, we pray for those individuals. We pray that the Spirit of God might pull back the God of this world that who has tried to blind them from the spiritual things of God. We pray, dear Lord, that you would give them insight, understanding, clarity of mind, and a heart of repentance and a faith in Christ would be our prayer today. Bless us, dear Lord. May you be honored in what we say and what we do and what you might receive will be all glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Someone may had once said, in all spiritual things we should be natural. And in all natural things... We should be spiritual. And I think that's exactly right. So how in the world do you become what is known as the Bible speaks supernaturally natural? A Christian should be able to act naturally supernatural. A person... Somebody says, well, what that person needs to do is put on his faith. Demonstrate his faith. Well, my friend, the Bible has something to say about putting on your faith. Now, of course, we put on our faith 
the shield of faith. But we're not to play act this game called Christianity. It is not something as an actor is to, to demonstrate. Jesus had something to say about actors. He called them hypocrisies, hypocrites. And he says that do not go and be like the hypocrites. And so therefore, he comes and he shares with us here in the word of God how to be supernatural. How do we become supernatural? Is it through intellectualism? I find it so many times, many people get an understanding of the Word of God. And all of a sudden, they become super spiritual. My friend, the Word of God is not to make you super spiritual. The Word of God is to grow you and mature you in the realm of the Lord Jesus Christ. As you grow in the realm of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God will be upon your life. And it's not through intellectualism. And neither is it through activity. A lot of people think that if I am just real busy in the church, that makes me spiritual. My friend, you can be as busy as a bee and still not be spiritual. And so therefore, activity does not make you supernatural. And super spiritual. And neither does emotionalism. I hear a lot of people say, oh, we need more emotions within our churches today. I'm not against emotions. In fact, I remember growing up in a church that was very emotional. Very emotional. In fact, some days it scared the daylights out of me. I heard some people shouting and hollering and going on and running and all those kinds of things. Certainly we don't do that here. But I tell you one thing, it caused a lot of confusion at that time. It doesn't matter how many pews you jump. It doesn't matter how many chandeliers you can hang from. My friend, I want you to understand, that is not the secret to being spirit-filled with the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not emotionalism. It's not intellectualism. It's not activity. And neither is it, my friend, ritualism. And there's a lot of people think that just by coming to church, that's all that is necessary. My friend, I want you to understand that uh, some people don't know the difference between the difference of dignity and rigamorgus. I mean, friend, there are some churches that you would walk in and they're dead as four o'clock in the morning. I want our church to be alive. I want it to be alive and well because Jesus is alive. And Jesus wants to be known among his people. And my friend, I want you to understand, when the Spirit of God is in control of your life, guess what He's going to do? He's going to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. The one that who had been, had died upon a tree, buried upon that buried, borrowed tomb, and rose again that third day. Who is alive! And I want us, as we come together today, sing with joy in our hearts and to know that Jesus Christ is in the midst of our congregation and he's alive and well. So it's not just going to church, 
My friend, it's far, far more than that. Well, let's look at this for a few moments. Let's look at what does it mean to be spirit-filled as the, as the Apostle Paul brings down before us. First of all, the meaning of a spirit-filled life. Let me tell you, first of all, tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you're zapped by some spiritual experience and then all of a sudden you're slain in the spirit and you are speaking in tongues. There are some of our brothers believe that is the evidence of a spirit-filled life. That you're zapped all of a sudden, you fall by the wayside and you have uh, slain in the spirit and you're speaking in another tongue, and they people say, man, that man has given evidence that he is filled with the Spirit of God. My friend, that is completely contrary to what the Word of God teaches. Completely contrary. It does not mean that. It does not mean, as some might would say, that you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. My friend, do you understand what being indwelt by the Holy Spirit means? If you have not been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. The Bible reminds us in Romans chapter 8 verse 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So first of all, I want you to understand that if the Spirit of God does not live in your life and live in your heart, that means you're not saved. For that with the moment that Christ comes into your life, the moment that Christ has become the Lord and Savior of your life because of faith and repentance and because of your acceptance, at that very moment, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is taking place within your heart. And the Bible says He will never leave you. And He will never forsake you. And oh, I'm so thankful to know that as I have been a Christian ever since I was at the age of 12, that the Spirit of God has always dwelt and indwelt within my heart from that very day. And oh, how comforting that is. In the days of, of trials and tribulation. To know that He has sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in my heart. To comfort me. So it does not mean to be zapped. Does not mean to be indwelt. And does not mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I hear some people say, Pastor, have you ever been baptized by the Holy Spirit? I surprise them when I say I certainly have. They think that what that means, that when I was baptized by the Holy Spirit, that I began immediately filled with the Spirit. Friend, I want you to understand, I was baptized to the Holy Spirit when I was born again. When I was saved. Baptism means to be placed into. I was placed into the body of Christ. Listen to what the Bible reminds us as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13. For by one spirit we are all baptized in what? Into the body. Into the body of Christ. And have all been made to drink into one spirit. 
And so therefore, my friend, you need to get it down, get it down plain, and be sure that you understand that being filled with the Spirit of God does not mean to be baptized by the Spirit. You were baptized when you were saved. But what does it mean? If it's so important, the Bible has given us a command to be filled with the Spirit of God. What does it mean? I like the wording of what the Apostle Paul used here, where he says, to be filled. That word to be filled literally means to be there directed. In other words, it is a child of God who has come to a point and a place of understanding that he has surrendered his life completely over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and that he is directing him. It is a picture of a sailboat and it's a picture of the wind that is behind the sails of that sailboat. And it begins to guide and direct that sailboat. My friend, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to do in my life. Is that He wants to direct my life. He is the one that is to give me the charge of walking in the days, I mean, in the in the, in the paths of righteousness. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3 verse 8, listen to this. Jesus said that the wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear the sound of it. But you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Gives direction. Gives guidance into our life. When I think about the direction and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. One of the very first ones that comes into my mind is the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember the days that when Jesus was led by the Spirit, the Bible says, to go into the wilderness. Now, I think that's interesting. Jesus being the God that He is, that who knows all and understands all, past, present, and future, knew very well what he was going to face when he went there into the wilderness. He knew that he was going to be facing Satan. He knew that he was going to be tempted with hunger and thirst. And yet the Bible says he went. Why did he do it? Because he was led by the Spirit. And as he was led by the Spirit, the Spirit of God gave him utterance to be able to use the Word of God to combat against those fiery temptations of Satan. It is written, the Bible says, as Jesus commanded Satan in that time of of great turmoil in his life. And yet the Bible reminds us that Jesus was led by the Spirit. He was directed. Let me ask you a question today. Are you directed by the Spirit of God? 
Are you led by the Spirit? Do you sense His presence today? If the Holy Spirit tells you to do something that is out of the ordinary, would you be willing to do it? My friend, if you're Spirit-filled, you'd be willing to do it. Just like Jesus was willing to go into the wilderness. No matter what the circumstances may be. But he goes a step further. Not only are you directed by the Spirit, but the Bible reminds us that you would be dominated by the Spirit. Dominated by the Spirit. It's not a once and for all experience. It's an everyday occurrence. Why did Paul say, do not be drunk with wine? He was giving us not only... But uh, he was giving us a comparison with wine. When someone drinks wine, what happens? He's intoxicated. All of a sudden, there is another substance that begins to control his thought life, controls his speaking, controls his walking, controls his hearing. It controls all of his faculties. That's another substance. It has dominated him. And so he was giving us a comparison here. Not only a contrast, but a comparison. And that comparison was that if that person ever stops drinking, guess what happens? He goes back to his old self. The Bible tells us that we're to be dominated by the Spirit that same way. That's why the Apostle Paul said in the book of Romans that I die daily. That I come to the cross and that I place myself upon the cross. And I take the throne of my life and allow Christ to be the Lord of my life. That he is dominating my life. He is in control of my life. And I do it daily. You know, you can be filled with the Spirit one moment and just like that, sin can slip in and take away that feeling of of the Spirit in your life. I'll never forget as uh, there was a time that I was on my way to a revival. And uh, I was going to preach on being filled with the Spirit of God. And I remember I was running late that day. And as I was running late, I got in a traffic jam. And as I got into a traffic jam, it seems like every single time I would try to get my way around the traffic, there was always more traffic And next thing I knew, I had lost my temper. And ah, you're talking about uh, uh, road rage, man. I felt road rage building up with inside me. And by the time I got to the church, the Lord says, now talk about being filled with the Spirit of God. (laughs) My friend, I want you to understand, it can happen so quickly. 
You can come to church, be prepared to worship, and somebody can say something or do something to you just like that, and it'll cut you to the bone. And all of a sudden, there's anger that rises up, and next thing you know, you might say something or you may not say something, but you have lost that filling of the Spirit. So, my friend, that's why there has to be a constant, continually giving over to the Spirit of God in our daily walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the Bible talks about the meaning of the Spirit. And so, therefore, the Bible reminds us that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Back in the days of the Old Testament, God used to fill His temple with His glory. Now, today, we being the temple of the Holy Spirit, He wants to fill the temple with His Spirit. But it also means to be devoted to the Spirit. As I was talking about being that continually giving to the Lord, devoted to the Spirit, and by being devoted to the Spirit, that you've allowed Him to have lordship of your life. But let's go a step further. We talked about the meaning of the Spirit-filled life, but what about the motivation of the Spirit-filled life? If, If the Holy Spirit wants to be in control of my life, how does He motivate me? What? What is the benefits? Why should we want to be filled with the Spirit? There are a lot of people see the Spirit-filled life as a time of enjoyment rather than a time of employment. Oh, help me to feel good today at church. May we have a great time in the Lord today. And yet, when God calls us to do something... We find ourselves arguing and debating and falling back from the commitment that he has called us to do. And so therefore, my friend, we find that what we should be filled. But why should we need to be filled? I think that the Bible talks about several different reasons why we should be filled with the Spirit of God. Need to be filled. First of all, the Bible talks about that we need to walk purely. Purely. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Psalms 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man is ordered by the Lord. In other words, that my daily walk is a walk that is consistent with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that I walk purely. My friend, it is an impossible task to defend against temptation and sin without being filled with the Spirit of God. That's the reason why there's a lot of Christians today living a defeated life. Is that they find themselves constantly over and over and over again falling to temptation. Falling to the temptation of sex, falling to the temptation of drugs, falling to the temptation of drink, falling to the temptation of gossip, falling to the temptation of different other types of sins. And they wonder why they cannot win the victory simply because they're living the Christian life in a carnal way. And you cannot do it. 
You cannot do it. We must walk purely. But not only walk purely, but we're to worship properly. The Bible says in John chapter 4 verse 24, says God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him. How? In spirit and in truth. In other words, we cannot worship him any other way. You cannot worship him in in your own body. You cannot worship him in your own carnal ways. That's why a lot of people come to church and they find themselves bored. They find themselves not being fed. They find themselves not being spiritually uplifted. Simply because they're not spirit-filled, my friend. See... If you're not filled with the Spirit of God, by the time you get in here, you're not going to enjoy the worship hour. That's the reason why so many churches start at 11 o'clock sharp and 12 o'clock dull. Simply because, my friend, that they are not filled with the Spirit of God and therefore their worship has become a time of dull. One thing I like about Brother Andrew, he tries to teach us how to worship. He tries to instruct us of what it means to worship. And my friend, I want you to understand, worship becomes, comes first before, it comes before work does. There's something about worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. But in my old fleshly way, I cannot worship. But oh, you know what the Spirit of God does? He loves to lift up the hand of Jesus and to say, praise be to God. He loves to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, we are standing on holy ground. And the reason that we're standing on holy ground is because, friend, the Holy Spirit is in this place. Oh, my friend, my heart's desire as the moment that you walk into the presence of this building, that you sense that there's something different. You sense with a a spirit of excitement. You sense a spirit of wanting that God be glorified and honored. And my friend, that can only take place when there is proper worship. You know, it amazes me, and I'm sure the choir sees this sometimes. I have sat up here and I've looked out in the congregation when some of us sing. And you couldn't prize open the mouth of some people if you had a crowbar. (laughs) They're like back here with their hands crossed and their arms crossed. It's almost as if like they're saying, bless me if you can. (laughs) Oh, my friend... The Bible says there's liberty when the Spirit of God is in control. There's liberty. And so therefore, friend, oh, let us come together today with a Spirit-filled worship. Where the Spirit of the Lord, the Bible says, there is liberty and there is life and there is love and there is enthusiasm and there is excitement and there is joy. I want to be a part of a church like that. Amen.
But not only that I need to be filled, not only because to worship properly, but to work proficiently. I wanted to say something that you may not agree with me when you first hear me. God doesn't want you to work for him. God wants to work through you. Now, there's a difference. There's a difference of me standing up and trying to preach through my efforts than to allow the Spirit of God to preach through me, to sing through me, to be able to teach through me, to be able to serve through me. Because, friend, I want you to understand that when He does it, He gets the glory. I've used the illustration of a glove before. And you take a piece, I mean, take an old glove. What good is a glove? But you put your hand inside that glove. And you can go out and you can work. You can cut down a tree. You can shovel dirt. You can push a wheelbarrow. You can do many things with that hand inside that glove. But if you take that hand out, that glove is nothing. My friend, I want you to understand, you and I are nothing but a glove. We're nothing but of a glove. And that the Spirit of God who wants to take our bodies and wants to take our minds and to take our voices and to demonstrate His power the great work of God is manifested and demonstrated. But let me conclude. Let's look at this as we we talked about the meaning of the Spirit-filled life. We spoke about the motivations of the Spirit-filled life. What about the marks? What are the marks of a person who is filled with the Spirit of God. I think there will be three dynamic spiritual marks that would be upon that person's life. First of all, I believe that there would be a glorious spirit about that person. First mark of being filled with the Spirit is not a mountaintop experience. It's not speaking in tongues. It's not jumping pews. But the Bible says is to make a melody. How about that? And that word to make a melody literally means to strum an instrument. When a man is filled with the Spirit, he not only has music in his heart, but he's making music in his heart. Oh, my friend, you can tell the difference. When a man or a woman comes up here on this platform and they can sing and oh, they may have such a beautiful voice. But there's no power. There's no power. A preacher may come and he may be a great orator and oh, he can preach. But there's no power. 
But oh, friend, when God's spirit is upon that individual, there comes the illumination of the power of God being manifested in and through that individual. See, we listen to a person's voice. God listens to a person's heart. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. Secondly, not only there will be a gracious spirit, but there will be a grateful spirit. I'm reminded of what the Bible says in verse 20. I don't know about you, but I have trouble with this verse. I've struggled with this verse. The Bible says giving thanks sometimes. Doesn't say that, does it? But it says what? Always. Let's say it again together. Always. Think about that. No matter what the circumstances, the Bible says giving thanks always for all things to God the Father. How in this world do I give thanks of a little baby racked with cancer unexplained How do I give thanks of a mom and dad and a boy and girl riding down the road and by a drunk driver they go out into eternity? How do I give thanks when a mass terrorist comes in and slaughters lives of innocent people? How do you give thanks for sickness and death and health. How do you give thanks? My friend, there's only one way. And that is by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God reminds us that God is sovereign. And that He is upon the throne of God. And He is perfectly in control of all things. Even though I do not understand all things, He understands all things. And that's why the Bible says all things work together to the good of them who's loved and called according to His purpose. It's amazing to me of how God gives us that spirit of thankfulness. I think I may have told you this story, but let me tell you again because I think it it certainly tells you where I'm coming from. There was this young preacher one time, and he was went to his first church, and there was this lady in that church that constantly gave him uh, all kinds of trouble. And every time he would do something, she would criticize him. She was constantly on his back. She was constantly... Uh, trying to tear him down. She had one ambition, and that was to destroy him and to run him off from that church. Went to his dad, and he asked his dad, he says, Dad, 
He said, I come across this passage of Scripture to give thanks for all things. He said, how in the world am I supposed to give thanks for that woman? He said, oh, it's very simple. Next time she criticizes you, you take her by the hand, take her to the altar, and just begin to pray. He said, well, what am I supposed to pray? He said, pray that that you're thankful that she's not your wife. Give thanks for all things. <laughs> but then, last of all, not only to be, there will be a glorious spirit and a grateful spirit, but also, my friend, a gracious spirit. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. We usually just hear that term submit when it comes to the wife's responsibility to the husband. And sometimes it has come across in a bad and negative way. Meaning that she's inferior to her husband. That's what the world says. And of course, you and I understand that's not what the Word of God teaches. But the Bible says that we're to be submitting to one another. It's a military term. It's one, it's a, it's a military term when one equal, equals voluntarily to submit to another person. Boy, I tell you what, there would be more churches today with less splits and less controversies if there would be more of these people in that church. I believe some of the hardest words for some people to say is, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Let's try it your way. You know, when that happens, guess what happens? There's a spirit of unity that begins to take place. Let me share with you an experience that we had at the Southern Baptist Convention this past week. I saw that took place. There was a two very popular preachers that were running for president of the presidency of the Southern Baptist Convention. And it without describing it or someone telling you, you began to sense that there was a division that was beginning to erode within the ranks of the messengers there at the Southern Baptist Convention. And what it was, it was an older pastor and a young pastor. And what it seemed like it was that the older people were for the older pastor and the younger people were for the younger pastor. And the vote came to a point of where they almost tied. In fact, we had to have almost three different votes to declare which presidency. And you could sense there was a division that was rising among the messengers there at the Southern Baptist Convention. The younger guy stood up when they got ready to vote. 
the third time. And he says, for the spirit of unity, I bow out of this race. And I will like to place my vote for this president or for this man to become president. And all of a sudden, when he did that, there was a spirit of unity that came over that place. It was a gracious spirit. It was not me and mine and us four and no more. But it was a spirit of unity that brought that convention together because of one man exercising what I believe a gracious spirit, submitting himself for the sake and the harmony and the unity of our convention. You know, we sometimes talk about the spirit-filled life as if it's something that we just understand it intellectually, but it is experimental. It is an experience that you need to demonstrate in your life today. I want to encourage you to do that. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me. Every head bowed and every eye shut. I wonder, would you be man enough or woman enough to say, Pastor, I want to be filled with the Spirit of God. I want to have a gracious spirit. I want to have a grateful spirit. I want to have a gracious spirit. I want people, when they see me, that they see that I'm acting naturally supernatural. And by doing so, I am giving my life completely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ today. I wonder, no one looking around, But I wonder how many hands would be raised today to say, Pastor, pray that I might give my life totally, completely to the Lordship of Christ, that He might fill me, direct me, and dominate me for His glory. By the uplift of hand, how many would do that? Thank you. All across this building, thank you. You may put your hands down. Father, in Jesus' name, may you fill us with your spirit, anoint us with your power for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name.